Hey everybody, it's Mark Herzlick, former New York Giants linebacker. And I was just listening to the brand new podcast, D-Blitz. Got me going during my workout. Take care. Welcome back to another episode of D-Blitz. I'm Anthony DeBona. You can follow me on Twitter, as always, at ByADeBona. You can follow the show at the Blit Podcast on Twitter as well. And whatever listening platform you're using to listen to the show today, please be sure to follow or subscribe. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'm joined by my brother, John DeBona. What's up, John? Hey, everybody. So I'm just going to cut right to the chase. In sports, legends are just you remember forever. When you see a truly legendary performance by a truly legendary player, it's something that you're going to tell your kids about. You're going to tell your grandkids about. And we really, this week, have to take time to appreciate that. So with that in mind, I want to read some career passer rating numbers for everybody. Patrick Mahomes, 108.7. Deshaun Watson, 104.5. Aaron Rodgers, 103.9. Russell Wilson, 101.7. Drew Brees, 98.7. But you'll notice there's one name that I left off that list, and this name has a higher career passer rating than all of those guys. This man is a true legend, and this man's name is Alex Tanney. And today, Alex Tanney did a career. Him and his 113.2 passer rating, his nine-year legendary career, all 15 of his attempts are no more. And as a Giants fan, it's a sad, sad day. To lose Eli and Alex Tanny back-to-back is something that I don't know if you could recover from. I will never forget his one attempt, his one completion, his one yard against Miami. It's just, it's legendary. And Alex Tanny, you will be severely missed. I'm sorry about that. I know he was a Giants legend, like you mentioned. But on the other hand, the Giants can celebrate that they are still one of the only teams to have beaten the legendary Tom Brady in the Super Bowl because the Bucks beat the Chiefs 31-9 in Super Bowl 55. Now, if you listen to last week's episode, it pretty much happened like we told you it was going to happen. The score might have been a little bit more lopsided than we expected, but we told you the Bucks pass rush was going to get to Patrick Mahomes, they were going to give him problems. And I think we could both agree that that's exactly what happened. Oh, more than a little more than we expected. I really thought it would be a tight game. I thought the Bucs were going to win, but I thought it would be tighter. But, yeah, everything we said happened, I feel like Fournette and Jones each had at least 12 carries. Cameron Braid had his three receptions, albeit for only 26 yards. But the Bucs got the lead early. They ran the ball, even though they weren't necessarily dashing it. But they had actually ran better against the Chiefs than they had against fifth defenses. And they just really broke the Chiefs. And I know people are going to make a big deal about, oh, well, the Chiefs' line was banged up and this and that. And it's true. I mean, realistically, if the Chiefs had a 100% healthy line, they score more than nine points. It's a virtual guarantee. But the Bucks still scored 31. And in the Super Bowl, you can't say that has anything to do with the Chiefs off the line and missing. I mean, because it wasn't like the Bucks, like the Bucks defense was getting points. The Bucks defense had no points. 
So it was 31 offensive points. It's just they dismantled Kansas City. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people, like, during the game, they were, everybody was pointing, oh, my God, the game is fixed with all the flags and everything like that. But at the end of the day, there was an 80-yard difference in penalties. Like, 80 yards is not making or breaking a team. The Bucks just dominated the Chiefs from start to finish. And Patrick Mahomes did his best. A lot of people are giving him crap about his performance, but I feel like he did the best with what he could. Uh, ESPN put out a stat that – I think it was ESPN or it might have been NFL, NFL Network – where – I think Patrick Mahomes ran for like 490 yards, like scrambled for that much, just from side to side, trying to evade the pass rush, just trying to throw the ball. This guy was under so much pressure. I feel like the Chiefs did absolutely nothing to help him. I think um, there was another stat that said Andy Reid only schemed up, I think it was like seven plays where they had an extra blocker for Patrick Mahomes. So other than that, they just decided that this makeshift offensive line of just five random guys off the street pretty much was enough to against that Tampa Bay defense. And last episode, we talked a lot about how Todd Bowles loves to blitz and mix things up with his linebackers. But I think he only blitzed like four or five times. So they were getting there with their four pass rushers. They didn't even have to send anybody extra. And that's what made such a difference is because now you didn't have Tyreek Hill in single coverage somewhere or Travis Kelsey in single coverage. All those guys were able to be held held in check, and then Patrick Mahomes was back there running for his life, trying to find anybody open. It was just – I wasn't surprised, but I didn't think it would have been that much either. I thought they would have had to blitz to get to Patrick Mahomes. And I feel like the Chiefs kind of let themselves down in a way because they kind of abandoned the run, the run completely, like Im- immediately from the start. Because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had nine carries for 64 yards. That's 7.1 yards per carry. That's nothing to like – to scoff at like that's a pretty big deal and I feel like they just kind of got away from the run a little too early I understand they got in the hole in the second quarter but at least in the first quarter they could have tried to establish the run a little bit more and take some of that pressure off Patrick Mahomes but it was just all around I think a mess by the Chiefs they also learned from Brady and we almost had your prediction we almost had a big boy touchdown almost there was a uh, I think it was the second quarter uh, Joe Haig yeah they targeted him down the red zone, just went over his hands. But we almost had that prediction. But that's really what Kansas City probably should have done. Bring in an extra lineman to play tight end. Leave a running back in more often. Like, do something. And I forget if it was Michael Kay or DCR or somebody else. But somebody said that basically – and you don't, want to, you don't want to put one game with a banged-up line and judge a guy's whole career off of that. But they were saying basically that, like, the enemy is supposed to be this offensive genius. Everybody knows why the enemy doesn't have head coaching jobs, and yet they made no adjustments in the second half. They saw how much pressure they were getting, and they did nothing different. And that's kind of telling. Like I said, I don't know if you blame that all on the enemy. You blame that on Reed and the enemy, and or a little bit of everybody. And I don't think one game with a banged up line is enough to make a career off of. But it is an example of you know you're on the biggest stage and you don't think to change anything. You don't think to address it anyway. I mean, last week you talked about how good Andy Reid is when you give him two weeks to prepare. He had two weeks to prepare. He couldn't come up with anything to give themselves a little bit extra protection. I know you weren't going to be able to go out there and sign, you know, prime Lincoln Kennedy or prime Orlando Case. You came up with something to help yourselves. Yeah, it was weird because I feel like some people had hinted that um, maybe the, the situation with Andy Reid's son kind of threw him off. 
but I feel like he's been through like tragedy before when his other son had um, overdosed during training camp. So he's, he's dealt with like, unfortunately he's dealt with stuff like this before, but I just feel like it was almost like having Patrick Mahomes is like a gift and a curse because they're so used to, like, you saw last year's playoffs, how they went down uh, 24 points to Houston that like, when you have a quarterback like that, you kind of just expect him to like over, like overlook your flaws kind of, and just still make plays anyway. But Tampa Bay kind of said, all right, we're going to send just four pass rushers. And then he's going to have to deal with seven defenders on the back end. And he just couldn't make it work. And for the first time, I feel like in his entire career, you saw Patrick Mahomes struggle and he, he didn't look great. But at the same time, I couldn't fault him because I don't think any quarterback would have looked great in that situation. No, I don't think you, so, I don't think you put any blame on Mahomes for that loss. I know he had zero touchdowns, two interceptions. I thought he would do better despite the line being banged up. But any quarterback that ends up running for over 400 yards backwards, basically, he finished, he ran over 400 yards. He finished the game with 33 yards rushing. Like, anytime that happens with a quarterback, you can't really blame the quarterback. But, I don't know, the whole thing was just, it was just crazy that it was that lopsided. It's still, still hard to fathom. Yeah, I just feel like the Chiefs are kind of caught off guard because I guess they saw, like, early in the season, like we mentioned that Week 12 um, episode, I mean, that Week 12 matchup last episode, and how they, Mahomes threw for, like, 400 yards, Tyreek Hill went off. So I don't know if they just thought, like, oh, Tampa Bay is not going to make any adjustments and we're just going to be able to do the same thing because there was no reason why they shouldn't have ran the ball more because they were effective when they did do it. And it seemed like they were kind of, like, they came out and, like, Mahomes had to scramble a little bit. He got a couple first downs. But besides that, they, like, never really put a drive together. They were always struggling. And I feel like if you did try to run the ball a little bit more, that would have helped. But I just feel like it was overall just a failure by well, the coaching staff. And I feel like there was even like, and again, neither of us are going to claim to be Eric Bieniemy or Mike Kafka or brilliant offensive minds. But there's just little things that I feel like are obvious in football that you try to do. That like, okay, so Tampa, most of their rushes came with four guys, right? So you obviously have a lot of defenders back there covering. You can't attack deep. It's honestly going to be kind of hard to even attack the middle at that point. So you work the short game. If you have four guys that are getting pressure right away, use your screens. Go to screens to the running back. Go to screens to the wide receivers, especially with guys like Hill. Like, try to get creative in the short game. And they didn't do that at all. And somebody else brought up, too, that, like, so Tampa was playing too high the whole game. And they took away all the deep stuff. I think it was Tony Romo said it during the broadcast. They took away all the deep stuff, so try to go maybe intermediate. Like I said, I know it's still going to be hard with how many people they had back there, but you have to try. And, I mean, they kind of did, like, later on in the game. Travis Kelsey ended up finishing with 10 receptions for 133, and even Tyreek Hill ended up with seven. But, like, if they had realized that sooner rather than all game to finally, like, see how they should have been playing from the jump, Maybe this would have been a closer game. Maybe they would have had a chance. I don't know. Yeah, and it makes sense that like, you bring up the screens because that's – I think I've mentioned it before that that's what Andy Reid was known for in Philadelphia. Like, he loved using screens. So, for them to not even really, really try to do that against Tampa was a little weird, especially with the pass rush and everything like that. You kind of want to make them think. But, yeah, I think they just thought Mahomes was – he's such a great talent that he could just do everything by himself and it just blew up in their own faces. And – I mean, this is going back to – I joked about Alex Haney, who, just to be clear, I was not a fan of Alex Haney on the Giants at all. Um, he frustrated <laughs> me 
tremendously. Not him personally, but just the fact that they always had him on the roster while guys like Kyle Aletta got jumped in the depth chart. But uh, talking about the actual GOAT now, Tom Brady is... I mean, I think even before this game he was, but this just further cemented him as, even if you don't want to say the greatest football player of all time, absolutely the greatest quarterback of all time. Because for him, and I know part of it is Tampa had a lot of talent there, and Winston threw for, what, 30-plus touchdowns or whatever it was. But I think part of the talent is knowing the right situation for yourself. Because let's be real, if Tom Brady, as much as I love the Giants, if Tom Brady was the quarterback of the Giants this year, maybe they make the playoffs, but they're not winning a Super Bowl. So for him to just gauge what they did, and for him to be able to bring guys like Gronk and A.B. who played big roles in this game with him, and to help lure a guy like Fournette there, like, that all helps. And, I mean, he may have even been, for all we know, a part, I mean, it's almost a given that he's part of why they drafted Werfs. But I think he kind of helped them assemble this team. And he came up big when he needed to. And he didn't light it up on the yards, but he had three touchdowns. He didn't throw a pick. I mean, for him to win a ring now without Belichick, it's what quarterback is better? Yeah, and I feel like Tom Brady did, like, a perfect job. of. I know he's going to get a lot of the credit, but he did, the like, the opposite of Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't trying to do too much. Granted, he obviously had better protection and whatnot. But he just played a really efficient game. He was 21 of 29 for 201 yards and three touchdowns. That's like a classic, like, game manager game that you would have seen at, like, Alex Smith or something like that. So it's just like it was a perfect case of him not doing too much, not doing too little, and just not turning the ball over. And then obviously the run game we talked about, they all did good. The tight ends all played well, which we mentioned last episode. Gronk had two touchdowns, which was kind of crazy to see. At that one point, I think all of the touchdowns were scored uh, – by former Patriots players. So our, our good friend Mark Singer definitely uh, was happy to see that. Oh, man. Brady, it was just, Brady put on a clinic and been... the defense helped him. All they were missing was a Kembrell Hopkins touchdown. And, they and James White. You know James White's going in next year. It's just it's going to happen. I think he's a free agent. Um, what about, speaking of running backs that are veterans and have championship rings, how about LaShawn McCoy? Second ring, fun bar trivia fact for the future. What former All-Pro running back has two Super Bowl rings despite never playing in a game? Yeah, he's definitely gonna um, be on some cruise trivia when we when we take our kids in like 2040, whenever the world's back. But uh, yeah, former Eagles great. That's all the the rushing records in Philadelphia. Has now just the. Sat on the sidelines and won back-to-back rings to end his career. That's a pretty pretty good way to go out. It's like the uh, I don't know. Someone compared it to I think it was like Danny Green who won like three different rings, but he's never been like the go-to guy. But at least he contributed. Lashawn is just like doing nothing and just he's, he's probably uh, playing Madden in the locker room. Maybe he's running with the scout team. Who knows? He might not even be going to meetings. They know they're not using him. But speaking of meetings, let's talk about some coaching. Hello things that are going on. So there's been some talk and I never really thought about it until I heard it this week is that people are saying the NFL should move back the, the head coaching hiring window to after the Super Bowl to give uh, more uh, playoff coaches a fair chance in this whole entire process. 
So I think, think it's a good that? idea too because they brought up this morning on DCR. Um, they brought up the idea that not only is it up as far as like guys like Todd Bowles and Brian Leftwich would definitely be in higher demand now coming off this run than they would have been, you know, when this whole process started and the playoffs were just getting started. But also somebody brought up just the pure excitement factor that like being able to go from Super Bowl like the next day being able to start hiring head coaches and basically making the remainder of February into March the coaching free agency period so that you now have like an exciting because I feel like we do get a little bit of a dead point at this point right now. Usually where I mean this year we might not with all the rumored quarterback trades and stuff. But generally this is kind of a dead period where it's like, okay, most of the teams that need new coaches have hired them and now we're just waiting for free agency to take off. And so we have like a month, month and a half without much to talk about. But I think if you push that back, it would also make it more entertaining as a fan just to have the option of hiring coaches. I don't know how much it would really – I don't know if a team that wouldn't give Bulls consideration before is now off of – and I know it's the playoffs and the Super Bowl. But now off of a four-game stretch, going to be like, well, now we need them. But I do think it would be interesting. And I think it happened to work out this year, especially because there were so many minority assistants that if you're talking you know, the racial component of it, then the longer you wait, the better it is for considering you had two staffs that were made up of a lot of black assistants. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like as a fan of a team that just hired a new head coach, I think it would have been cool to like wait and then really everybody has their own their own shot to interview these guys. Obviously people will have like under the table agreements and stuff like that. That'll never go away, even if they try to put some sort of fines in place. But I just feel like you would definitely would have seen. I feel like Byron Leftwich wasn't talked about at all. Like I don't even know if he had like an interview with anybody. And I feel like he definitely would have at least gotten an interview at this point after what the Bucks did in the playoffs. So it's just I feel like it's unfair because it puts basically these coaches at a disadvantage for their teams doing well. Because especially this year with like the Zoom interviews and stuff like that, like they weren't in pre- previous years. They like during the week leading up to a game in the playoffs, they can like go fly somewhere real quick, I think, and then go take an interview and fly back. But now with this year, it was limited to like only Zoom interviews. You couldn't sit down with the team. You had to wait until you were eliminated from the playoffs. And these teams, they don't want to wait to assemble their head. That was the other point. That was, yeah, that was the other point that was waiting, brought up too, that they were saying that like so many coaches get hired right away, just almost out of impatience because you don't want to start to lose assistance or you don't want to worry about losing guys or losing time. You want to get the guys in and start to install stuff yeah, exactly. and get on the same page as soon as yeah, exactly, because now you want you want your head coach to pick his guys, and then the, all of them want to meet with your front office and talk about which players they want to target, which players they think can be traded or re-signed or whatever. So now if you put everybody in an even playing field, then it makes sense because now all the coaches have an opportunity to go where they want. They'll know what openings are open. It's not like with the Eagles where they fire their head coach out of nowhere and then now they're late to the party. I feel like by this time, all the head coaches have that would have been fired have fired by this point. Everybody's starting to get their list together. And then, boom, at midnight or 8 a.m., whatever they want to do, you're going to start getting the Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport tweets about this guy's going to interview here. It just would have been another way. Everybody knows the NFL loves to dominate the media market. So like they said on, on DCR, now you would have February would be all of the coaching information, all that stuff coming out. People loving that. And then March would be free agency. And then that, that leads right into April with the draft. 
So that would just be three more months that the NFL would dominate all the headlines. And I feel like it just makes sense for all parties involved. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see it because I feel like the NFL is just weirdly stubborn with things for absolutely no reason. Like, I don't necessarily see how this benefits anybody to keep it to keep it the way it is. Or rather, I don't see how the change would hurt anybody because there's nobody yeah. like you're still going to hire the same amount of people. They're still going to need the same amount of assistance. It doesn't necessarily make it more. If anything, it might help the existing sort of union. I mean, I think, that, yeah, there's a coaches union. Um, it might help the sort of existing coaches because if they wait longer, maybe a team would be more likely to be like, mm, you know what, maybe I do want that Super Bowl assistant and not this hot college name. And maybe that would help turn the tide a little bit too. But I don't know. I mean, it's – it's uh, like I said, it's the NFL. So will we ever see the things that just make sense happen? But this one seems like a no-brainer. I had never thought of it before this year, but it feels like this year really could have changed things if it ever was going to. Yeah, I feel like this year, especially because we, like you mentioned, there were at least three min- like minority candidates that were in the Super Bowl that didn't really get their fair shake with interviews and stuff. I mean, the enemy and Todd Bowles did have opportunities to interview and whatnot, but if, it, if your coach is restricted and you have to wait until the beginning of February to hire him, teams are just going to panic and hire people like um, the, the Eagles did or whoever or the Texans did. But the one thing that teams will probably say is, oh, then why are we put at a disadvantage for like, for say a team like the Texans that fired their coach so early, but at the same time, they were also the last team to hire a head coach. So there's like, I, I think there's nothing but positive things that can come from like delaying it and having it start at, the day after the Super Bowl or whatever. But who knows? Like you said, the NFL doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes with things that they do, but they are starting to adapt by adding possibly the 17th game and like the seventh team in the playoffs. So hopefully this is another change, but I'm just not sure if it's something that they can just renegotiate with the CBA right now or how that has to work. The only thing, hopefully they get it done. It's that, the only thing that I would be curious about, and I we're not going to be able to get the number offhand, is – if there's any correlation between hiring a coach earlier in the process and then success the following year. Because if you find out that, let's just say, 60 or 70% of new coaches that do make the playoffs are hired in the first two weeks after the regular season as opposed to you know, the rest of the period after that, then maybe that would be justification enough to like sort of keep it early. Cause that's the only thing I can think is that like, I know it's rare for playoff teams to fire their coaches, but like a couple of years ago when you had green Bay can McCarthy to get LaFleur, and when t- uh, Tennessee ditched, I forget who their head coach was to get Rabel. It's you do occasionally see it. And so from that perspective, it does give the teams that really did genuinely suck a little bit of a head start. But it's still that feel those instances feel so rare that like then you're going to be competing with a playoff team of, over a coach because like I said that's the only thing I could see that would like maybe change things a little bit is that like because now it also gives a chance for the teams that do make the Super Bowl or not make the Super Bowl but do go on deep playoff runs that they can now fire their coaches and have every team be open at the same exact time and now the hottest free agent coach is of course going to take let's just say hypothetically if Kansas City had decided to fire Andy Reid or if Green Bay did decide to fire LaFleur, then you're going to be more likely to take that job than, say, the 
maybe the Jaguars or the Jets or one of those other teams that you know isn't really going anywhere for a little while. But that's the only thing that I could think that would maybe keep it sort of the way that it is. But like I said, I want to see actual numbers on that that I don't have offhand. Hey, everyone. It's time to take a quick break and talk about this week's sponsor, Fanspeak.com. Fanspeak.com is the sports fan's interactive toolbox. Draft season is approaching, and Fanspeak has everything necessary to keep yourself entertained during the offseason. They have recently launched Ultimate GM 2021, which allows you to use their on-the-clock mock draft simulator and their Manage the Cap Free Agency Simulator completely ad-free. You'll be able to seamlessly simulate the entire offseason from the draft to free agency for whoever your favorite team is. Go to fanspeak.com now to check out everything they have to offer. Speaking of analytics and statistics, our uh, good friend Russell Wilson had some controversial things to say in a meeting with NFL uh, Man of the Year, Russell Wilson. So he said, yes, he's going to have that nice... uh, patch on his jersey next season which i love seeing but um so here's what he said to reporter he said like any player you never want to get hit that's the reality of playing this position ask any quarterback who wants to play this game but at the same time it's part of the job and everything else i think that the reality is that i've definitely been hit i've been sacked almost 400 times so we've got to be better i've got to find ways to get better too well staying in the nfc west I feel like Russell Wilson is probably as close as a quarterback as we'll see to what Larry Fitzgerald is as a wide receiver. As far as the guy that it feels like just goes to work every day, doesn't complain, keeps his nose down, always plays well for the team, even when the team seems to be falling apart around him. And so from that perspective, this is kind of shocking to hear from, from Russell Wilson. I mean, he being Russell Wilson, he still acknowledges, he goes, oh, well, I had, like, he made it, he put it on himself a little bit too that he has to find ways to basically not get hit as much too. But this definitely feels like a direct message to the front office of not that he's requesting a trade right now. Supposedly teams are calling and they're them down as you would expect them to. But it does sound like he's kind of giving them a little bit of a subtle warning of like, listen, get me some linemen or else next year I may really be unhappy. And I'm going to be curious to see how they do that because the Seahawks being the Seahawks, I don't think they have a lot of cap room with how much talent they do have and how many guys they have signed. I didn't think to check it before we came on, but I can't. I, I don't remember seeing them anywhere near the top of the league in it. And they don't have a first-round pick this year because they gave it to the Jets. So they may have to get a little bit creative to get the linemen to protect Wilson. How they handle that going forward. Uh, I just looked it up. The Seahawks are going to have about $14.5 million to work with. Yeah, so that's going to be really hard. You're not going to get any top-tier free agent linemen, most likely, with that. I mean, unless you devote it all and say we're going all in on a Trent Williams or I don't know who the other sort of high-profile free agents are this year. I think Trent Williams is up, right? Um, So I don't know. Like I said, I don't know who else is on the market, but that's – with, if you only have $14 million, I know they can pay up some, I'm sure, by you know, moving things around, renegotiating things. But, like I said, it'll be curious because I don't – they may have to wait till round three to start looking to address those. Yeah, and I also feel like, like we're both pretty heavily involved like in draft research, stuff like that. But I feel like they haven't invested in the offensive line at all since he's been there. So I feel like it's almost like another situation like Mahomes 
where you just know how great the quarterback is. So you just give him weapons on the outside and kind of just like say, all right, whatever, he's going to go to work and make plays anyway. So we've seen them draft like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, players like that. They've drafted a couple of running backs early. So I feel like they haven't really done him any favors. I don't really remember them trading or signing for any big offensive tackle. They had, um, who was it, Dwayne Brown, I think, who might still be on their team that they traded for, but he was like kind of washed up at that point too. So I feel like that's the only name player like offensive lineman that they've they've added since he's been there so i feel like that was their big swing and he's 35 years old so like yeah is he 35 wow um i thought he was a lot i thought he was a lot younger i thought he was closer to my age but uh i was gonna say i the difference is too when you talk about the chief and Mahomes. when the chiefs are healthy they have a good line in front of Mahomes. like what's his name uh Obviously, Eric Fisher was, what, an all-pro this year, I think. They're definitely a pro bowler. Um, Mitchell Schwartz is good. Yeah, Mitchell Schwartz. And, um, yeah, I would say if target. he comes back next year, then he's better than probably both cards that they started the year. So it's not like – like, even if they haven't invested – I mean, Fisher was a high draft pick. But even if beyond Fisher, they haven't invested since – they found the right guys. Where yeah. Seattle hasn't found the right guys, where you can yeah. you can avoid investing in it if you're finding those guys late and in free agency and however you have to find them and you're getting steals. But if you're not doing that, then you got to start using, you know, top priority. You got to start giving that position rather top priority. And I think that is what they have to do this offseason. It's just a matter of how. Yeah, and I've got a little stat here that uh, ESPN shared. And it says, Wilson has been sacked 394 times in 144 Oof. regular season games. According to according to ESPN stats and information research, that's the most in a player's first nine seasons since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger. And the next closest is Randall Cunningham, who had 366. So that's is he getting sacked more sacks basically on average, if my math is right, like seasons. over three times a game? So just around three times a game? That's Yeah, something like that. That's ridiculous. I like mean, as a Giants a half, fan, yeah. I've been frustrated with the way the yeah. line looked with Eli and Daniel Jones. And I think even the Giants line over the last few years hasn't been that bad. So that's something else. Yeah. And considering Randall Cunningham's the next guy, I would say that like being a running quarterback or a quarterback that can scramble kind of inflates the number a little bit. But still, that's that's a ridiculous amount. And yeah, that's, they have to do something about that. So um, you don't think there's any chance? Wilson? Wilson gets uh, him, when you say that he's 35, if? No, not Russell. Oh, Dwayne no, Brown. Brown. That's, what I, was, okay, that's no. what I was saying. I, was saying. I thought Russell Wilson was only like 32 or 33. Yeah. Okay, no, that makes more sense. He just turned 32. So you were saying 35. I was like, I did not think Russell Wilson was that old yet. Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I, I'm going to look back those comments. Um, 30, 32-year-old Russell Wilson now, which sounds a lot more accurate. Um, I think if they got a real, real sweetheart deal, if the – if a team turned around and started offering them what teams were offering for Watson, maybe you think about it. Like if you could start getting number two overall and number 23 and the Jets first round of next year and a first round of the year after that, then maybe you pull that trigger and make that deal. 
But I don't think Seattle wants to move Wilson, and I don't think Wilson really wants to go. I think they just want to get better linemen, and they'll find a way to, at least in theory, do that. Yeah, that's what's interesting because, like you said, they don't have a first-round pick, and they obviously have to pay Jamal Adams eventually. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do. Maybe they can work out some sort of trade or something, but I'm not sure what they really have to trade also. So they better get lucky and hopefully find uh, somebody later on in the draft. Um, but we'll see how that goes. It's just interesting to see, like you said, Russell Wilson, who's always been like a super humble guy. He's the guy that ends all of his press conferences with, go Hawks, ever since like he's like a rookie. Like he's always seemed like a team first guy. And for him to say something, he's clearly frustrated. And I think he also mentioned in um in the report and the, the meeting with reporters also, I saw on Twitter that he like apparently wants a say in personnel also. So clearly the guy like knows what he wants and he's finally, he's waited nine years, but. The NBA has really, like, really started to trickle into the NFL and as somebody whose team doesn't have any remotely capable of making those sort of demands it's fun to see but it does also scare me a little bit to know that my team could potentially one day be in that situation but it is it is fun it does make for interesting stories yeah, see what great. happens uh oh but I'm just gonna say yeah it's fun you said I just wanted to say petrifying if the Seahawks do need somebody to help move around numbers, help get them some extra money, um, I might suggest looking at the streaker from the Super Bowl because this was my favorite <laughs> story to come out of the weekend. And I didn't write the guy's name down, but he did an interview with TMZ. I would assume everybody who watched the game obviously saw the streaker. But this guy was genius. So... Long story short of it is him and his friend apparently work with some internet website. I don't remember the name of it. But, uh, well, obviously internet website. What other website would there be? But they uh, work with the site. And they said that there's been a guy who for the last five years has been trying to successfully streak during the Super Bowl. And for the last five years has been stopped. So his plan was he was going to get somebody else to go in with him. And he was going to have the other guy run on the field first as a diversion to get the attention away from all the security. And then he would come on the field right as the security is trying to take care of the other guy. And you know what? It worked. This was some Ocean's Eleven style planning. Because what he said was after they had this, they had the <laughs> idea first. But then he decided, he goes, okay, well, is there any prop bet on streakers for the Super Bowl? And sure enough, he said Bovada had it. I think it was like minus 700 or something like that. So he goes, he called up everybody he could and he got as many Bada accounts as he could made and had as many bets as he could place. And supposedly he called up, he wouldn't say who, but a celebrity in Vegas and got them to put some money down for him too. And he said he ended up, it was just a misdemeanor for trespassing. Um, so him and his friend like spent the night in jail, but that's probably going to be it. They'll probably just get off with some fines, maybe a ban from the stadium or whatever. But uh, he gets off with all that. He said he paid his bail and his friend's bail, and he walked away with $375,000 for running onto the field during the Super Bowl. And God the best part of this all, which I didn't know until I watched the TMZ interview, was apparently Mike Evans loved it, asked for a picture with the guy, there's a picture of Mike Evans and the guy at the club after the game. Apparently, I think it was, J- it was Jason Lick, the GM for Tampa, right? 
the, the guy said that uh, yeah. Tampa's GM came over to him in the club said, oh, Mike Evans wants to meet you. He thinks it's really cool what you did, this and that. And uh, sure enough, Mike Evans went over and said that he loved it. He told the guy that the team was dying on the sidelines and on the field. And it was a really fun thing to see. That's amazing. I didn't realize all that happened. But now you know what's going to happen. All of the conspiracy theories are going to come out that the guy used half of that money and that's yeah. why he ran on the field. He hand-delivered it to the reps. And that's why Tampa has Absolutely. so many that's penalties. That's the only logical there. explanation for that's the game. I mean, it's not like the Chiefs are missing their tackles and Tom Brady just being the greatest quarterback of all time and anything to do with it. It's all the zebras. Um, also, going back to the penalties no, for a second, penalty, I feel like we didn't do it enough justice. The penalties weren't great, but these weren't like – it wasn't the Rams and the Saints, you know, pass interference. It was like kind of ticky-tack calls that like, yeah, they went in Tampa's yeah. favor. But they are calls that could be made in every regular season game too. Like the Mike, the passing appearance with Mike, thing too. Mike Evans didn't show up in the box through quite a few slams, and a lot of them were reasonable. Like the one where he gets tripped up going down the sidelines, did he really get interfered with? Not really. Yeah. But anytime you as a defender grab the foot of the receiver before they can get the ball, nine times out of ten it's going to be a flag, especially if you're playing because that's what somebody brought up too. They said. Uh, that I think this was on Michael K. That they said that somebody that they knew growing up, or maybe it was DCR, whatever it was, um, somebody they knew growing up was friends with like an MLB um, uh, umpire, and he said that there was uh, I think it was Tommy Maddox always got the benefit of the doubt with his strike zone, basically that like when he would work the the outside corners, they would give him a little bit of leeway because of who he was and how great he was, and it wasn't like them trying to give the game to Maddox or whatever. It was just that when you're when a player is good, there's a level of expectation that like they're doing the right thing or that they sort of get the benefit of the doubt. And that's kind of what happens with Brady and with every star that like Brady throws a good ball, Brady throws a good game. So if Brady's throwing a ball to a receiver and now the receiver falls down, of course it's the defensive back's fault. So I don't think it's like, oh, they want it. Because that's what I wrote too, that like if the game was rigged, why wouldn't the NFL want Kansas City to win because Mahomes is going to be around in at least yep. for a decade and a half. Brady's on his last legs. Brady winning only makes Mahomes' goat status that much harder to get long term. Where if Mahomes has two and now Brady has six, and now Mahomes has him a decade and a half, and Brady's looking like maybe he's on his way out, of course, that's a little bit more intriguing. And going into next year, if you have the Chiefs who've now fully transitioned to just being the villains, the back-to-back champs. That's, I think, a lot more of an interesting story than Tom Brady just being the greatest of all time, but maybe only having a year or two left. Yeah, of course. That's why I never understood that whole thing, like, the entire time anyway. I just feel like the Chiefs were very undisciplined and they were putting themselves in positions to even, like, for the refs to even make questionable calls, like you said with that Mike Evans play. But I also felt like there were even more penalties that weren't even called. So it's like there was stuff that they did get away with also. That, like there was a Tyron Matthews. Well, I saw at least, Oops, I I saw at least one. I think it was on it. Fournette. It might have been so Rojo. Like, I don't remember. But one of the Tampa running backs got hands completely on their face. Somebody wrapped their hands around the face mask. They didn't turn the head, but they did wrap their hands all the way around the face mask and it didn't get called. So, yeah, like you said, it was there was definitely penalties on both sides that could have either been called or not been called. It wasn't like it was just on Kansas City. 
Yeah, I just felt like it, I was kind of annoyed that like it seemed like people were trying to discredit the Bucks, where when you win by what was it, twenty two points, like that's not just the refs. Like, no, you, and you, you, say, you can literally the give the refs, refs credit for part. giving a touchdown to Tampa, taking a touchdown to Kansas City, and Tampa still wins the game. Like, but exactly. So let's uh, move on to the awards and the Hall of Fame class that were announced this week as well. So let's start with the Hall of Fame class. You had Alan Fanica, Tom Flores, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Peyton Manning, Bill Nunn, Drew Pearson, and Charles Woodson all make it. And I mean, guys, the one uh, that stand obviously stands out to me is Megatron. And not that I didn't think he deserved to be in the Hall, in the hall of Fame. Yeah. But I feel like he was almost looked at with a different standard than we're used to seeing from the Hall of Fame. Where usually with the Hall of Fame, like, it is so much about longevity. And that's the one thing that I didn't have. In his prime, there is no receiver better in football. Like, it's not even a question. But he really only, like, his real prime prime was, what, three to five years, let's say? And then he retired. I mean, he's only, that's what's crazy. Yeah. I think he. 35 now. So he's only three years older than me and the guy's in the Hall of Fame now. That's the only one that caught me off guard. Like I said, not that I didn't necessarily think he'd be there at some point. I was just a little surprised that he got there on the first try, especially because they have Peyton going in this year. Because I know sometimes they'll pick a guy who maybe doesn't deserve to be in that soon, but they need a big modern name that fans are going to recognize. But like I said, you have Peyton there. So that was the only Hall of Fame nomination that really kind of caught me off guard. What about you? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Calvin Johnson because I kind of got a little nugget that kind of almost makes it like the case for Tom Brady being amazing, even crazier. Because Tom Brady That's was crazy. 30 years old when really? Calvin Johnson was drafted. Oh my God. It's been and now Calvin Johnson was just named to the Hall of Fame <laughs> and Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl. Like that just shows like how ridiculous this wave the waiting period for Tom Brady. Ball. It's ridiculous that they're gonna have to but, wait um, for after Brady stops playing. I mean, you don't want to jinx anybody, but forbid you end up with like a Kobe situation. Yeah. Just there's like, there's no reason for that. There should be sort of exceptions where it's like even if you wanted to have like measurable metrics like you get a certain amount of rings, a certain amount of MVPs, the combination of the two, then like you're an automatic sort of Hall of Famer. But it feels like that's they almost need that for because that's ridiculous. Yeah, somebody had suggested that they need to just. And like, I'm name sure we're MVP. I'm this sure years after he retires, they probably award, they won't do it right away because people are still going to remember Deflate Gate and still going to remember Spy Gate and everything else. But I do think if if. 10, 20, well, maybe not 10, but 20, yeah. 30 years after retires, we'll see that award named after him. Yeah, but uh, the name that sticks out is obviously, I mean, everybody knows Peyton Manning, but he was a no-brainer. But uh, it's cool to see him get in. But um, Charles Woodson was cool because uh, I was reading, I saw a tweet that said, I think, like, for his first, like, 10 years of his career, I think he had, like, 11 interceptions or so like 20 interceptions something like that and then like right when he turned 30 like the last whatever that last stretch of his career and was can, that's where he got like 40 he also converted he went from corner like, to safety like, in his career which you but, don't see a ton of yeah yeah i feel like champ bailey i think did it at the end of his career like you see some people do it sometimes but like 
the way he transitioned later in his career and started getting all those interceptions and really like turned into. Was there anybody you were surprised that didn't make it? I know, I know our friend Takeoff McFadden was upset by Torrey Holt not getting in. Is there anybody you thought like should have been in that wasn't? Well, Terrell Owens is in. He finally went well, in. Terrell Owens is eligible, right? He, oh, he finally got it. But I feel like the argument was always I don't understand how Calvin Johnson. Well, it was, was first it was a, it's 100%. But Terrell, media, I guess like, it was that's all the problem. It's a very petty process. At the end of his career. Like, T.O. absolutely should have been a first ballot Hall of yeah. Famer. And that's why he ended up not going to the ceremony, despite them having the. That was the, that's probably why he forgot that he was in, because remember there was the whole thing? He didn't go to Canton for the ceremony. He did it at, I think it was like his alma mater, like whatever like college he went to or something like that. And so he did his acceptance speech there and had his yeah, whole day yeah. there. Because it is, it is ridiculous. Like, I know that it's... I don't know if there's certain things, like, as a wrestling fan who sees other wrestling fans constantly being like, Chris Benoit should be in the Hall of Fame, even though he murdered a child. And I know that's different because that's a scripted sport. But, like, there's certain things that I'm like, I can understand you not wanting to put somebody in the Hall of Fame for. But simply just being a little bit of a douche isn't enough of a reason to me. Like, T.O. was annoying. T.O. was kind of a pain, it seems like, for the players that he played with. But T.O. wasn't a criminal. T.O. didn't get into any real off-the-field trouble. He's just like a guy who seemed like he was hard to work with, but ultimately maybe the greatest at his position ever, if not definitely top three. So it was ridiculous that T.O. had to wait that long. Yeah, I just feel like that set a weird precedent. Yeah. Like now you have Calvin Johnson in at the age of 35, and T.O. was just like skipped for so many years. But I just looked it up. There were some names that do stand out now that I see them. Uh, Zach Thomas, the old Dolphins linebacker, he was a, he didn't get in again. And Reggie Wayne, the Colts receiver, did not get in. So they'll get in, I think, eventually. But the, the article says here that Reggie Wayne's association with Marvin Harrison and Zach Thomas' association with Jason Taylor – like that they played on those teams at the, the same only, time. The only problem I have with that I is guess make them wait a couple years. It doesn't always work because then you have teams like like the Buccaneers team that won the Super Bowl before this one that had Sapp in the Hall of Fame. I think Brooks is in the Hall of Fame. I think Simeon Rice maybe he got in the Hall of Fame. I don't remember for sure on that one, but I know definitely there. And John Lynch just got in. So it's like if you're going to have teams that have three or four, and I know Barber has been in the final. Yeah. Like – then you got to, like, if you have a, okay, Zach Thomas, you can't tell me Zach Thomas can't get in because Jason Taylor's in. You know what I mean? Because you didn't say, oh, Ed Reed can't get in because Ray Lewis is in or vice versa. Like, they didn't, I feel like it's... No, no, I don't, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying... No, I'm, not saying I'm not saying that's my reason. I'm just saying like, that's what the article mentioned. You know, I don't know. It's You almost want to have, but I know that you can't because there won't always be the guys every year, especially if you do it. But it almost feels in some ways, like, you should kind of have to have one guy at each position every year just to avoid stuff like this. And like, it's not realistic because if you did that, you would run out of guys eventually and you would be putting sort of guys who are like sometimes pro bowlers, but clearly not Hall of Famers. But it just feels weird how many people do get left out who you feel like, what's, how do you explain the gap between, let's just say an Alan Fanica and a Steve Hutchinson? Like, I don't know. It's a weird system.
Yeah, and I'm just looking it up now just for a comparison. Zach Thomas's stats are actually yeah. better in a lot of categories than Brian Erlacher, who I think was a Hall of Famer last year. So it's like you got to compare them if you're, if you're going to do that. I don't know. They played around the same time. They were both dominant. But I guess Erlacher just had the bigger name value or whatever. But uh, let's move on to the NFL honors and all the awards that were announced this, this past week. So the MVP, to no surprise, was Aaron Rodgers. Then uh, I think Defensive Player of the Year might have been a little bit of a surprise with Aaron Donald. Some people thought it was going to go elsewhere, but, I mean, the guy's now, what, three-time Defensive Player of the Year? He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's another guy that they should skip the waiting period for whenever he retires. He should just go right in. But, uh, a lot of, Justin Herbert took Rookie of the Year. A lot of people were mad that that didn't go were to Justin any, Jefferson because uh, Jefferson was named an All-Pro as a rookie, and that's so rare. Right? And I get it. But – we all know that the award yeah. at this point has basically become a glorified court. It's like the NFL MVP. It really is the best quarterback unless all the quarterbacks have a down year. That's the case for rookie of the year. That's the case for MVP. That's just how those awards work. And they're basically why awards like offensive player of the year exist. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they add like, they can't say offensive exactly. player rookie of the year. But, like, you know what I mean? Almost add a secondary award because we know it's just going to the quarterback if the quarterbacks are any good at all. Well, that was the thing. It was, like, um, Herbert okay. won Rookie of the Year, and he also won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Like, I think back in 2016, yeah. what was Zeke um, everybody thought Zeke was going to win it. But then I think they gave no, Rookie of the Year to Zeke Zach. No, wasn't it Zeke got Player of the Year and then Zach got Rookie of the Year, which is even weirder? I thought it was that Zeke. Okay, I don't think they give offensive rookie. Did he? I, mean, I think they give offensive rookie, but it's just offensive rookie, defensive rookie. It's not like rookie of, overall rookie of the year, offensive rookie, defensive rookie. I think that year it was that Zach got um, rookie of the year, but Zeke got mm-hmm. offensive player of the year, which is really insane. No, that's the crazy thing. He didn't get any like rookie award. He was named a first team All Pro, <laughs> and he that's, led the NFL rushing yards as a rookie. But, but that's what I'm saying. That's, that's how you or, know that it's a like, quarterback driven, and it's one thing to be a quarterback the driven guy league. It's another thing to be a quarterback blind league. But, like we're not yeah, going to anything with quarterbacks. I just want to take a second. I know this is off topic, but I want to appreciate what Zeke did as a rookie. He had. 1600 rushing yards and 15. Well, that, that Cowboys line was That's legendary. Not that, Zeke wasn't right, so, Not that Zeke wasn't great, too, but we saw once Zeke got paid oh, and that line wasn't that. up to snuff, what happened with Zeke? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's literally declined since, a, since his rookie year. But, like, Zeke. but when you set the bar that high, it's kind of hard to live up to it. But uh, one award we were both happy to see, and I feel like they um, couldn't screw up. You say like, couldn't uh, screw up. Comeback player one here. person what did. About that? One, one person out of 50 votes. Yes, yes, I know. And people that. made the right call and voted for Alex Smith. The guy nearly has leg amputated. He nearly lost his life. And one person was like, no, I'll give it to Big Ben. He, uh, what did Big Ben come back from? Oh, I don't know. He's probably hurt for a little while. Um, what did Big Ben come back from? I don't know. He may possibly have raped somebody. <laughs> What did Big Ben come back from? Maybe he just wasn't that good last year. Like, those are not reasons to – and I know Ben had the better year than Alex Smith, 
but come on, how does anybody vote for anybody but Alex Smith? Just the fact that Alex Smith stepped there's should have put in the conversation, and then to come back and take that team to the playoffs, even if it was the game manager, who cares? Like he deserved. The second that guy, he didn't even have to step on the field. The second that guy threw a football in practice, he should have won the award. If anybody saw the pictures or the documentary of like his recovery, there were, I don't even want to get too graphic, but you could see through the guy's leg. Like there was missing flesh and the guy's back taking hits. You could make, to directly you to could make a real case. No problem bouncing that like Some of those pictures oh of his God, leg not, look worse yeah. than GPP's hand. And. Not that JPP's hand wasn't a crazy oh, thing in, in and of itself, and the fact that he got another ring is ridiculous. But, like, JPP's hand isn't nearly as essential to him as a quarterback's leg. Like, we've literally seen defensive players with no arm. So, but Alex looks worse than that, and him for him to come back from that is just wild. Yeah, I think he was getting a surgery like every two weeks or something like that. The guy had the cage around his knee for months. I mean, the whole story was crazy. But to see him come back and play pretty damn well at that, it's not like he came back. There's no like chance. Quarterback. We don't think there's, there's any chance he well tries to play again, again next year, though, do we? So it's like the fact that he was. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he would be like the perfect guy to like do that Josh McCown thing. Where like if COVID, obviously COVID's still going to be around, but like. You have him just sitting at home waiting, and like eventually he'll transition to be like a pretty good coach. I think he'll be good for that role. But who knows? I mean, Washington doesn't have really a squared away situation. He might, the guy really wants to play, obviously. So I don't know if he just got the itch and then that was it. He, he scratched it and he's done. Can I throw well, I a wild again, suggestion a out there for him? A free agent, so it's just a matter of New Orleans. Like, because the line's yeah. pretty good when they're healthy. He w- could kind of be a game manager because that's really all Breeze has been for the last year or two. And he may be able to manage the game better than Breeze if Breeze is retiring. So I feel like that could almost be and, – and he'll come cheap. I mean, I don't. nobody's going to give Alex Smith big money coming off that injury and stuff and at his age. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a wild card that if he does want to keep playing and who knows if he even does, that maybe New Orleans would be a team to give him a look. I mean, if he keeps playing, maybe he just comes back to Washington. But I feel like New Orleans could be a fun little fit if he does come back. Oh, okay. I mean, no, I thought he was, I thought he was yeah, Technically, he does have two years left on his contract, but there is like they. Uh, yeah, I thought he. I thought he was too, but the, uh, Washington has an out where they can just pretty much take like a ten million dollar hit. Yeah, and then they can cut him. But if you obviously if he retires, that was That was just what we'll was confusing me real that, quick. But, Thing too. Any other, uh, I thought once a guy retired, their number just came off your cap. But apparently, that's what I was reading is that may not be the case, which I was a little surprised because that's what I heard with New Orleans that like they restructured Bree's contract even though he may be retiring. And I was like, why well, can't do that? But apparently, that's how that works. And I didn't realize that. But that was the last thing. Yeah, I think it all depends on uh, how the contract is structured because I think when Andrew yeah. Luck retired, he still had like a ton of money left and they still had to pay yeah. him. But that's why the team also has control. Like if he comes oh, retires, then that's just one very last thing that, that we forgot to mention. With Gronk um, and the Patriots, where they, and they did that with no OJ Howard, too. So if they get OJ Howard back next year on top of all the other weapons they have, 
that's insane. You think they maybe trade one of those tight yes. ends? But just wanted to bring that up because I haven't heard like much OJ Howard talk. About. Yeah, and I, yeah, and uh, one last thing to add also to the Bucks is that Mike Evans apparently already said he, he did yes, this before. Yes, that's what I was going to say. This was like the week that, that made Mike team to, super uh, likable. Take, take back money from his contract. So that, that I forgot to bring it up earlier. I knew there was something I wanted to say, but that was that. Yeah. Not, a, not only does the guy uh, tug at my heartstrings by playing yeah. Call of Duty on Twitch, but uh, now he's doing all this stuff to get his boys paid, so that's always good to see. But that about does it for episode number seven of D-Blitz. As always, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and follow on whatever listening platform you're using. You can follow myself on Twitter at Debona. Follow the show on Twitter at The Blitz Podcast, and you can follow John on Twitter at Jorge Blanco, that's H-O-R-H-A-Y. And there may be a surprise coming. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week.